Peter and Judas are on the same road here. So why is it that both these guys go to different ends? So therefore we realize one thing, that salvation cannot be by works, it has to be by faith. Last week, we opened up our discussion on missions, reminding each and every one of you that we as Christians live in war time. That if we do not realize, if we do not understand that there is a war that is raging on currently, then we'll be lulled into an apathy We'll be half asleep and we'll be content building our own kingdoms and the fight that rages for souls will wage and we will be asleep during that fight. And you know this to be true in your own heart, do you not? That there are things that are waging war for your affections, for your joys, for your your thought processes. I always like how it says, um, if you want to know what you worship, look at what you daydream about. What do you daydream about? And so we as Christians have a question. What are we fighting for? And who are we fighting against? You know, I, I think of our, our children's workers as they go back here in an hour and take those crazy, crazy children that we love and adore, and they say, not today, Satan, for we know the truth. And we are going to protect our kids with the word of God. That there is a war that rages on for your hearts and your affections, even as I stand here, right? Like God has put like just warriors around you to just tell you the word of God, preaching and teaching. Think of our home group leaders that study so hard so that you may know without question what the word of God says. I think of our are many of you who stand at the corner of Planned Parenthood and beg women, please don't abort your children. Think of Greg and Marie Langford that, 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 you know, they have care portal and they go around to areas in the city of needs and they make sure that those needs get delivered. There is a war that rages on and this war started all the way back in Genesis chapter three when that snake slithered up to God's creation and said, did God really say? And ever since then has been the war for souls. And I thought of our great enemy Satan and the tactics he uses. Do you know Satan has used the same tactics from the beginning that he still uses today? He has not changed his game plan. Do you know why? Because it works. And so he is just like a fisherman. He sets out this beautiful bait that looks so good from the outside. And it works. And the beautiful bait that Satan uses as he disguises submission to himself through personal autonomy. The bait Satan uses is this promise to the world. Do you want freedom? Follow me. Because all God has for you is rules, regulations, and commands. But you know what? You follow me and you can do whatever you want. And here's why that's bait. Because when you grab a hold of that pretty looking bait, you realize that you then become enslaved to sin and to hell itself. And then... You invite your friends who have bought onto this bait, hook, line, and sinker. And they go into a church 
And if the pastor has any gusto, any courage, they'll preach the message that Jesus did. Narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, and few find it. You'll have the courageous preachers saying, there are two ways to live life, your way or God's way. And the lie of the adversary is that sounds like rules. That sounds like a cage. I will give you freedom. But then you have those weak charlatan preachers with no courage, who have no desire to see the glory of the God. They just want to be cheered. And this is their message. Just accept and love one another and it's all good. No desire to fight sin, no desire to warn people of impending destruction, just enough morality to lull people into a sleep, into a coma through their whole lives. When you look at history, people often ask, how could it be that a whole bunch of churches in Germany were just a few hundred years prior to this was the great reformation of Martin Luther saying, sola scriptura, to the glory of God. And a few hundred years later, you have these churches lulled into morality talk and then allowing the Nazis to move. How did this happen? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it happens because of the preaching of cheap grace. A faith that costs nothing and therefore means nothing. A faith that says the problem is out there and never in here. Everything's good in here. Don't worry about your own sin. You're here. We should be more upset over our own sin than other people's sins. I find it interesting how many people are so upset over unbelievers' sins and yet reject being upset over their own sins. Isn't that weird to you? Have you ever thought about how weird that is? Like how we get upset over unbeliever sins? Why? Because they're doing what they're naturally created to do. They're naturally dead in their sins and trespasses. They naturally hate God. But the Christian, the one who says, I've been saved by grace. I no longer want to walk in sin. I want to walk in righteousness. That should break our hearts. We find ourselves ever being okay with our own sin and just shying away from it and being more worried about other people's sins. All this stems from a pride. A pride of us trying to make ourselves God. If you have your Bibles, go ahead, grab them. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 is we're going to be. I know you've been like, wait, we've been in Mark, and then last week we're in Mark, and this week we're in Mark. I'm all confused. And I want to tell you why we're in Matthew chapter 27. A month ago, I preached a full sermon on two verses, and it was all about Judas Iscariot. Um, didn't know I could do that, but I did it all to the glory of God. And then the next week, Lee came and he preached on when Jesus went and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and what were the disciples doing while he was praying? sleeping, right? And so like, that's the question. Have you and I ever prayed so long that we fell asleep? So long, not so late, so long that we fell asleep. And then Seth came and he preached on Peter's great denial. And, and so here's why we're in Matthew. And here's why I want to kind of revisit Judas. And a lot of you are like, bah humbug, Merry Christmas to you, Pastor. But um, here's why I want to revisit Judas. Because I had a lot of questions from some of you about Judas and Peter and, and the relationship between these guys. And so if I got a few questions, that means I've got a lot of questions. 
And so here's what I always want to be sensitive to. I always want to be sensitive to the fact that sometimes we don't explain things as well as we should, and sometimes we got to go back through and make sure we understand this. And so the nature of these questions revolves around this one whole idea, true faith versus false faith. And, and, and y'all, that scene all the way back in Genesis to Revelation is the Bible's constantly going to bring up this false, false, spurious faith that, that, that people kind of tend into, and Judas is the poster child of that. And so um, be rest assured, my engineers, who thank you for your grace and patience with me, engineers, I know I know I drive you crazy, uh, we'll be back in Mark 15 next week. We're going to look at Barabbas the crucifixion the following week, and then the resurrection March Mark 16, our last Sunday, and then we'll be in Vision Month. So that's going to be our, where we're going to go. Um, but today I wanted to look at Judas and the final fall of Judas, and I want us to see that. But before we do that, we need to pray and seek the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, preaching is not a natural act, but a supernatural act. It's the act of the pastor getting out of the way so you can be clearly exalted. It's the act of saying, thus says the Lord, and trusting in you to do the work. It's the act of rejecting the need for the applause of man and seeking the applause of you. And so God, I intend to do that this morning. Now church, let's pray for me. Pray that I'll be helpful this morning. Pray that God will speak through me, that he'll humble me behind and beneath his cross. Now, church, I should pray for yourself. Pray that God will open up your ears, your heart, your mind, so that you may understand what his word clearly teaches this morning. Father God, we know that faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. So God, we ask that you use this time for your glory, for your majesty. We pray this because of your son's atoning work on the cross through a spirit that's alive and active within all who believe. Amen. So, so here's a little background for you. And chapter 26 of Matthew is that chapter 26 ends with Peter's great denial, right? You had Peter, right? And if you remember back to the Lord's Supper, he said, all these other guys, they're going to reject you, Jesus, but not me. I'm with you all the way till the end, right? And, it's, and you and I know this, right? Because you know this in your own life. It's easy to make loud promises and it's hard to keep them right? It's easy to make loud promises, and it's hard to keep him. And so Peter says, unto death, Jesus. And then you remember, right? Like Seth worked through this, and this was, everyone checks the homework on this because it hasn't been well taught, right? But here you have Jesus. They're praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how many soldiers come up to arrest Jesus? Six hundred dude and here comes peter just like you and i oh my gosh it's wartime and he takes out a little fishing knife right and then he's like let's go to war he cuts off the right ear of malchemus one of the servants of the pharisees and jesus says put your swords away i'm going and peter's confused because it's like i thought there was a war raging on jesus this isn't war i was ready to go to war i went to war and you told me no war do you know why because you and i don't understand the war that we're actually supposed to fight we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the principalities that are at work and so peter then recognizes this and he goes and he follows jesus because he is so confused 
He follows Jesus. He's so confused. He goes into the court of the Pharisees, and it says that he is warming himself next to the fire. Look at that, warming himself next to the fire. And an insignificant little tiny slave girl comes up to Peter, a grown man, and says, hey, aren't you one of them? And Peter loses it. No, no, not me, not me. And the pinnacle of his denial is that third denial where he says in essence I swear by the name of God that if I am lying to you may he strike me dead I don't know that man the rooster crowed and Peter went out and wept bitterly by the way parenthetical note like I'm so glad we're just done with the preaching of like morality because like at one point everyone's like this was Peter cussing so don't cuss kids so I'm so glad that we have finally worked against that by the way so um yes pastors can get it wrong that's just one that as a kid I always heard that was like he was cussing uh no he was calling curses on himself using God's name so Peter denies Christ Peter denies Christ weeps bitterly and here's here's where we fill in the blanks between all four gospels Where does Peter go after he weeps bitterly? John tells us exactly where he goes. He goes to the disciples. How do I know? Because when Jesus reinstates Peter in John 21, who's he hanging out?